At Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place. By working more efficiently. By using more sustainable practices. By developing better technologies. We keep moving forward. With each new idea, innovation, and partnership, we're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com slash purpose. Parker, engineering your success. Welcome to Infertility and Me podcast, a show that amplifies diverse stories about the struggles of infertility and fertility in a safe space. Our goal is to normalize fertility stories that validate, give hope, and create a community where no one is left silently suffering. You guys. Thank you for tuning in to another episode of Infertility and Me Podcast. Thank you for being here with me. Thank you for letting me be a part of your day, friends. If you haven't already, make sure you're following on Instagram at Infertility and Me Podcast, as well as tap that link in today's show notes and join our private community chat on Discord, downloadable on any and all devices and computers. Today, our guest is Rihanna. Rihanna, like most of us, spent many, many years trying to conceive. Rihanna has low AMH. She has completed six IUIs, three IVF cycles in four different countries, Indonesia, Nepal, Bulgaria, Belgium, and is currently considering Colombia or Argentina for her fourth IVF cycle. Rihanna has been a nomad, which is really interesting part of her story. And she's been doing all of this while being a nomad for the last 12 years dealing with infertility. And her and her husband have truly weathered a storm like all of you. We'll be back in just a second, you guys, with Rihanna. So we're back with our girl Rihanna Hilkama. I said it right, right? Okay. <laughs> so thank you, Rihanna, for coming onto the show. I appreciate you so much for getting up early all the way in Colombia right now. I just thank you. I appreciate you. So, and I know our friends will listening will appreciate your story as well because you guys have been on a ride, a ride. Yeah, correct. We've been. We've been in the journey for uh, almost six years right now. Yeah, that's a long, long time to be dealing with this. And also because very interesting part of your story is that you are a nomad or were a nomad. So how was that right now? Are you still or are no. you uh, settled down no. now? We're still, and I think we're going to be for the rest of our lives. Okay. It's too, too great to be a nomad for us. It's like the freedom. It's the adventure, mm. doing whatever you want, whenever you want, wherever you want. It's, it's just it. started for me like in 2011. So I thought, Oh, white sandy beach, nice blue water. That sounds great before I go in the mountains of Nepal. So I went to Indonesia. And then, you know, when I travel, and I think that's also a bit my free spirit, I just go with the flow. I see what's who's coming on my path. And then there was somebody who recommended me, like, oh, there's a really tiny island. It's really beautiful in the middle of like, a, it's not the sea. It's like a gulf kind of. And you should check that out. And I was like, oh, that sounds cool. Where is it? Yeah, it was by boat. I was like, oh, I can I can schedule that in my, uh, that sounds cool. Like 14 hours, not everybody's doing that. Off the beaten path, that's my place. 14 hours on a boat. And, and it's not like a cruise ship. It was just like a wooden floor. Everybody's just sitting on the floor with their bag. And 
waiting for 14 hours to arrive on this island. And no, actually, we didn't arrive on this island. We arrived at a, a bit bigger island. And from that island, I had to take a little, uh, it's not a kayak, it's a pirog. I don't know if that's an English word, but okay. it's a small, small it's very boat. It's like, okay. Yeah, they're really tiny. It's like you sit behind each other. That's small it is. Gotcha. So we were with three people, and then it was for two hours to go to this island. And I arrived on this island. And it was really small, like really small. On the island were living 10 people and there were five visitors. So there were 15 people. You couldn't even walk around the island. You could only stay on the shore side because on the back it was, you could not even pass through it. So it was like a, wow, what was it? Like maybe 50 meters length and like 10 meters depth with some houses. So it was really tiny. And I arrived there and I was like, Okay, this is going to be fun for one night, but let's book my ticket for tomorrow back because this is going to be a bit tough. And uh, so I went to one of the houses and I said, yeah, uh, what time is the boat tomorrow leaving? Can I buy a ticket? And he said, what boat tomorrow? What do you mean? I said, yeah, the boat to go back. And he was like, yeah, the boat just left. He's going to come back in one week. I was like, one week? What am I going to do here? What, what am I going to eat? Do, do you guys have enough food? It's like, yeah, we just go fishing. <laughs> so there I was stuck on this beautiful paradise island. Huh? Because like I said, this was pure white sand. It was the bluest water I've ever seen in my life. It was gorgeous weather as well. And all the people were so friendly. And there were also two other tourists on the island, two guys. One of them had dengue, so he was in his little hut, like, for the whole day. And the other guy uh, was really interesting to talk to. Handsome guy, got me a coconut out of a palm tree. He was telling all his stories about the army. And yeah, we got, got along really well, making campfires in the evening and then in the morning waking up and doing like a little beach walk back and forth, back and forth. <laughs> yeah, so we spent five days there together and we, we had a blast. Yeah, it felt so good, you know, this moment that you're like, it was meant to be that we came together. But we also had big dreams, each of us, and we we had shared them with each other. Like, so for me, I said, we're it's going really well, and I really like your company, and I really enjoy your time. And I, I, it's been a long time ago that I've been feeling so connected with a guy, but I have this big dream. I want to live in Nepal, and nobody's going to stop me. I've been stopped for too long before. I, that's not going to happen anymore. And he's like, Oh, I feel exactly the same. It's like we have such a good match together and everything is just feels so relaxed and so natural. But I'm in the army and I want to go to the special forces and I need to stay in the Belgium army for this because he's from Belgium. So our paths separated. And I think it was like that even 24 hours later after we came with the boat for 14 hours and he went up north through Indonesia, I went south. 24 hours I got a, later, I got a message on Facebook saying, I think I would love to see you again before we fly back to Europe. So we spent another five days in Bali together. And, you know, sometimes you just meet people and it, it, everything feels good, feels easy. There were no games, no trying to be better, not trying to pretend to be somebody. I could just so purely be myself. And I felt that he was that too. And so when we both flew back to Europe, I flew to Madrid and he flew to Belgium. He had to go on a really tough training for four months without any contact. And he said before that, 
Rilla, I really want to explore if there's more between the two of us. I know I go on a training for four months. I need something to hold on to. Can we not book a trip together? We, we, we both love traveling, so we booked a trip to Canada. Four months later, I was standing at the airport in Belgium. I had photos, the pictures of him in his swim short. I had no idea what he would look like in his normal clothes. I have no idea how he would have been gone through the training. And I came at the airport and there he came. And everything just felt so peaceful. Everything felt so, it's just so magical. I cannot explain it. And we went on holiday for three weeks. We had an amazing time in Canada. I never left so much in my life. And then we decided to just give it a shot, even though we had this big dreams. Me to go into Nepal, he going to the special forces. And uh, so we did a long distance relationship for one and a half year. And then he decided that if we wanted to continue with this, he was the one who had to give up because I was too stubborn for that. I had my mindset on freedom and living the life I wanted. And so he decided to quit the army and start following me. What year was that when you guys got married? We got married in 2017 in Thailand, on the road, and we got married in Thailand. It was really special as well. After you got married, how long did you guys wait before you started trying to conceive and you got your diagnosis? We started uh, when he proposed to me. That was like back in 2016. You know, we started with this idea, are we ready? Yes. Are we mentally ready, financially ready? Yeah, we have everything under control. Okay, we're going to do this? Yeah, we're going to do this. With this illusion of, okay, one month is maybe a bit too fast, but at least within three months it should work. Well, three months pass by, you start tracking your ovulation, you start doing all weird things, you check all this stuff on the internet, whatever app you can find, and then six months pass by. And then one moment it was one year, and at uh, that time we were living in Indonesia. And I said, I don't want to go to the doctor because... It was going a little bit against my feeling of this is something natural. This is something that should come out of love and fun. And But I said, I just want to check if there's something wrong with one of us. Because, of course, then it's never going to work. Trying naturally, we came to the hospital in uh, the clinic in Indonesia. And the first thing we heard was like, oh, you're so young. I was 29 at that time. My husband is 27. You're so young. Just keep trying. Well, we're innocent. What do we know? So we tried for another six months. We came back to the clinic and I said, oh, okay, yeah, maybe we should start doing some tests. So they did some tests, did all the tests you know that, that you're going through, but they couldn't find anything. So that time we were already two years in of trying naturally. So they said, yeah, maybe it's a, it's a good idea to start treatments. Um, but that was the time that we moved to Nepal and we found a clinic in Nepal. And in Nepal, we uh, arrived there with the whole, like all the files from Indonesia, all these two years of test, no, not two years of testing, but our whole background, all the testing, everything that nothing came out. And we came there with this file and then Nepal said, okay, yeah, really interesting, but we want to do all the tests again because we're a different clinic, different country. We have different um, machines and stuff that we're using. So uh, we want to, we start all over from scratch. Well, I don't know how the HSG test for you was but mine was terrible I had no blocked fallopian tubes but I think they're really small or something because they were pushing this liquid through it was it was just so so painful and I was so freaking out of going through this whole process again and but well we had no choice and we're both really future focused our lifestyle and everything already and he was like 
think about the end goal. We want to have this family. This is not the way we imagined it, but we know what we're doing it for. I did the test again. They couldn't find it. There was one doctor like pushing on my belly. The other doctor was putting the liquid through. Uh, oh, it was horrible. It was so like, it was really, really intense. And then, well, test came back. Nothing came out, not for my husband, neither for me. So unexplained infertility. Okay, we're going to start IUI treatment. Started with um, IUIs. We did uh, six in total. And then we wanted to move on to IVFs. But then COVID came and everything got on hold. So we, our whole program got delayed. We flew to Belgium. We tried to first start in the Netherlands because I'm originally from the Netherlands. And I thought, oh, this is going to feel good. Everybody's speaking my language because this is something as well. You know, you're doing fertility treatments. This, this process is already freaking hard. But if you're doing this in different countries, it's the whole time different languages. In Indonesia, we spoke enough Basa, the language of the country, to be able to communicate but you know expressing your feelings and your thoughts and your emotions that's not working in another country's language like where all the emotions are coming up and yeah so we tried to do in the Netherlands waiting list was like one and a half year there also due to COVID but also due to there are not so many clinics in the Netherlands who are doing IVF and I had this illusion like once you're in the process every time you move to another country or another clinic you just get your all your files, you show them where you are, and bam, okay, I go to the next IVF. But no, every clinic in Belgium, in Bulgaria, and here again in Colombia, all the freaking tests again, they want to start all over from scratch, even though you're already in the IVF procedure. I mean, that was something that I had no idea of, and put another extra strain on the whole whole situation. Science the process already being really, really tough, but Unfortunately, last Friday, so that's now a week ago, I got my AMH level, test levels back and they were extremely low that the IVF clinic in Colombia said, sorry, we're not going to do any further procedures. You need to think of other uh, options and, and explore other possibilities. And that was a slap in our face. Like we've done six IUIs, three IVFs, and we were still having this idea of like, Okay, keep going. We know what we do it for. And uh, last Friday, we made the decision after a lot of conversations with the doctors over the last couple of months, of course, and together that uh, we're going to stop treatment. And now we are arriving on the other side of IVF, the side that I never thought that I would be empty-handed. I thought, you know, because you hear all these success stories all the time. Everybody who's all the stories you always hear, and of course, it makes sense, because who wants to talk about it? If you're at the other side of IVF and you don't have that baby, who wants to bring this story up, up the whole time? Who wants to deal with all these questions? Do you have kids? Well, no, because, you know, I, I really feel now that I'm... I really feel there are two sides. You have to decide that you're in the IVF, in the treatments, and people are like, rooting for you, the, the people who know, supporting you, giving you hope. Uh, everybody is there. And now I feel like I'm on the other side and I, I feel I have to start all over again. I, I need to find my people. Well, literally say, were you giving up? Oh, the dream was not that big. That hurts. That hurts like crazy. I mean... And 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 the the thing is, like, we decided why we had to decide to stop. 
there are women going through this, ending on this side because they don't have the financial resources anymore. We were so lucky that we that we didn't have to stop because of the finances. And there are women who are for physical conditions have to stop. You cannot say that. Oh, your dream was not big enough. Wow. And I feel like I really have now on this being on this other side of IVF, having to reinvent meaning and purpose and what kind of people do I want to surround myself with? How do we continue? How do we create a life that is aligned with our visions? And, you know, this is coming from a process. I've been through this whole process and this stopped last week for almost six years. It's like five years and three quarter. And the first years that I was in it, my life was on hold. I can easily say for four years, my life was on hold. I, I was traveling all around the world, but I didn't see the beauty of it anymore. I was not interested in going, talking to people, cultures, learning their language. I, I wish I felt so numb for like almost four years. And the only thing that was in my mind, that was this this family life that I wanted to create so badly, this baby, I did everything for it. I quit all alcohol for four years, like you know, easy, no problem. I know what I do it for. I want my body to be in the best shape. I did really good active body um, movements. I was busy with self-care, a lot of meditation, busy with a lot of attraction, reading a lot, all this positive insight. The whole thing, my whole life turned around this baby, baby, baby. And then four years in, I just had one day, I was sitting on this beach and I was looking at the sea and I was just thinking, I, I cannot keep doing this for the rest of my life. This is not living. Look, everybody, and that, that was the other side, because this four years, my life was on hold, but I tried to distract myself, of course. So I started like three different companies. I was supporting my husband in his company. I was still teaching in the school. I was coaching. I... I was doing a lot of certification and degrees again, everything to distract myself. So this is what the outside world saw. Whoa, how is he doing that? I cannot even, there were friends of mine who were busy with their coaching practice. They could not get it out of the ground. And they looked at me and they see me running all these businesses to, at the same time and having a great relationship because that's always been really important to us to keep our relation with this base that we had. We know this is so precious to find somebody that is so matching. We never ever wanted this to be in any way get teared or whatever. And we had a lot of hardships with this infertility, but we always try to come back to, we have the same goal, even though we process this differently, we, we we're in it together. And so they, they saw me with this great relationship, this great jobs. I looked happy, traveling all around the world. But inside, I felt so empty. And, and I looked around and I felt so, so lonely. And that was the day that I realized I'm climbing the wrong mountain. I need to climb a mountain where there is everything on the top, not only the baby. There is a loving husband who is there for me and for the baby there is this friends and family there's this life there's everything I want and that was also the moment I realized I was so focusing on that one thing that I could not control even though I wanted so badly tracking everything eating pineapple in the right time in my menstruation cycle standing upside down do whatever do enough sports no stop doing sports lay down for three days I did everything 
everything I could do, but it was so out of my control. Going through these IVFs, I heard time after time from the doctors, oh, you're so young, you're so healthy, it's going to work, and going in the cycle of being up and hopeful. And then everything was working out in the lab. The, after five days, they put it back. Everything is great. Getting the ultrasound with a little heart around it because this is going to work out. And two weeks in the hope phase and then being smashed to the ground because it was not. The third IVF, the doctors decided to go back because they said, then we have more chance, but the chance is really big to get twins. But at least you're going to have one. This was literally what they said. At least you're going to have one. Have twins, be prepared for that. For two weeks, we were thinking, how are we going to create our life when we have twins? They're so welcome. It's just double up. If we have one, it's going to be great. But if they're two, it's going to be also great. We're going to manage. We're going to figure it out. And then two weeks later, getting getting our pregnancy results, like typing in a code on the computer. I still cannot understand this whole system, how it goes, but typing in the, the login code and seeing my results that we're not pregnant, like not even far from it. And our whole world crashed down and I tried to call the doctor and there was just no support. There was no doctor on the other side of the line. And it was three days later that uh, this doctor called me back and she said, Sorry, I didn't know how to tell you because I don't know why it didn't work out. I I was so hopeful. I thought this was going to work and I you must be so disappointed. And I was like, you have no idea how much I needed support in that moment. And I think this is what baby making industry is failing so badly because there's so much on this practical side and there's so little emotional support. There's so little support in, in empowerment, in choices, in, in options, in the only thing you hear, okay, so your cycle started, so you're going to come back tomorrow, we can start all over again. And I'm like, whoa, let me digest this. That's also something that I now really realize, you know, being on this other side of IVF, there is no time to grieve. And I'm now on the other side, empty handed. And I'm now we said together, we need to find closure in this part somehow. We need to think of a ritual that we can do that we close this off before we consider any other options. But we also now need time to grieve. All these babies that were there kind of, but not there. This dream that collapsed, this, this, all these kind of things we need to now process because there was no time. And I'm thinking about all these women who came on the other side of IVF with a baby in their hands. They have exactly the same. They also had no time to grieve. Even though they're lucky to have the baby in their arms. You need to process all of this. It is so freaking hard. Thank God I found my spirit back. I found my focus back that I realized there is so much on top of this mountain that I want to create to have this perfect family life that I can have. So I have the time for our children and I have the energy and I have this fit body to run behind them and I have this partner that is always having my back so all these things I can control I have control over so that's what I've done in the last past two years being super focused on all the things I can control and this is exactly what I'm doing now in my work as well I was I was coaching for many years already okay and now it's me what do I want what do I value what makes me happy and this feeling I wanted to have back, I just had lost it. And I got this feeling back over time. And then I thought, I need to change my whole practice. 
I need to focus on those women that I feel so aligned with, those women who benefit from this whole phase that I've been going through and shorten this phase for them. I don't want anybody to go through this for four years, living your life on hold while having all these amazing experiences and just missing out. I'm looking back at, at pictures. I just see that my body is there, but my mind was not there. How sad is that? What a waste of my four lives. I've ruined friendships because they didn't understand me. And I was just so focused on, on this one thing. And there was no space for anything else. That's exactly how it is. And that's exactly how we behave in the midst of it, unfortunately. That's just yeah. like us reacting to the trauma, the grief that you were speaking of. And exactly. unfortunately, we don't find out until it's late. And now I feel like I'm slowly moving even further into my practice because I'm now on the other side of IVF and I really feel there needs to be voices out there as well for us women who end up empty-handed, have to stop or decide to stop treatment and what is out there next? Because there are a whole bunch of questions coming on your path, a whole bunch of options and things you have to explore that you have to, again, figure out together with your partner are some people even with secondary infertility with their other children like all of the accounts that i know of on instagram who provide community support for childless after infertility childless after fertility treatments i can count on one hand and i'm pretty sure that there's yeah. many more people out there but as far as people being in a position of leadership and influence i mean katie from um chasing creation Carry mm -hmm. for Blooming with Care. There's a couple who has a podcast, um, an interracial couple. I forget their handle. And then Tanya Hubbard Counseling, who's also a coach like yourself and a counselor. And I could definitely send you some people to connect with and that are also in power and leadership like yourself and have coaching businesses surrounding the childless community, um, childless after infertility community. And I'm going to also put that in the show details to those accounts so that others listening who may be childless after infertility or childless in general just need something, somebody to hear them, see them. Yeah. Understand. That's all about the validation, right? All about the it validation. Is. So for it last is. word for the community, what would that be? You've said so much already, but I know you got more <laughs> in you, Rihanna. I know you did. <laughs> My last word would be educate yourself, listen to voices out there, and then, very important, make your own decision find your path find what's aligning with you because this whole journey it's for everybody different everybody ends differently find something that that is aligned with something that you can find peace with you say childless after ivf yes now we are childless after ivf i do think we're gonna explore the option of adoption we're not there right now uh, we need to go through this grief and we don't know if that's our option, if that's our choice. It doesn't matter what you choose, but find something that aligns with you and where you can find peace with when you look back in like 20 years. I gave it all because I can say that to myself now. I gave it all. We quit treatment, but I didn't quit. I was not a failure. I did it all. So I can live with this part. And now I need to find out what is after. So yeah, find your path and follow that. And tell us how we can find you online, my dear, so we can connect further with you and the community you have yeah. started building. Starting a, building a community on Instagram now with people really giving them their voice and sharing their stories so you know what's out there. And it's my name, Rihanna.hielkema. 
<laughs> maybe you can put it somewhere because it's going to be challenging to find it but uh, and I come under the name women empowerment coach yeah I would love to see you out there and if you feel you want to share your story um, also reach out to me there are people out there who need to hear mm-hmm. your story also that, that's something that I would love to share to finish uh, our beautiful conversation up is that it's hard to share your story, but there's, I believe there's always somebody out there who just need to hear your story. Yeah, that was beautiful, Rihanna. I appreciate you so much for taking time out of your Saturday to be here with us. Truly a bold and courageous thing and brave thing to come on here while you're still in the midst of mm-hmm. healing before your next step, if there will be a next step for you and hubby. So I do appreciate you, my dear. And we appreciate you for listening, friends, to today's episode of Infertility and Me Podcast. You guys know where to find me, Instagram, Infertility and Me Podcast, as well as our private Discord chat community with the link in today's show notes that you can sign up for and be a part of and is moderated by yours truly. So I will make sure there's no riffraff in that group. (laughs) Well, thank you, friends, for tuning in to another episode of Infertility and Me Podcast. Peace and blessings. At Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place. By working more efficiently, by using more sustainable practices, by developing better technologies, we keep moving forward. With each new idea, innovation, and partnership, we're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com purpose. Parker, engineering your success. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill.